0: Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, hey, good morning, friends. My name is Mike Moses. I'm lead pastor here at Lake Forest. Good to be with you today. I look forward to looking into a unique part of the Bible together this morning. Uh, uh, myself, Mitch White, uh, Pastor Jeff Cook, and Victor Leal um, just got back from—we spent this week in Denver, Colorado at our denominations— Annual meeting. We're part of a denomination. We believe that it's biblical for churches to be mutually submitted to one another for right belief and right practice. We're not to be an authority unto ourselves, so we're part of a denomination. And we were just there at the denominational meeting at where uh, they, uh, they, they highlighted and celebrated uh, Victor's work and the upcoming launch of our church plant as a gift to our Spanish-speaking neighbors to to hear the gospel and worship God in the language of their heart. And so I just want you to know the the denomination was celebrating the activities of this congregation and the fact that every one to two years we gift another community or zip code with uh, uh, with a, a new church pointing to Jesus in the same way as we do. And right now, the elders and our group are actually praying through where will the next Lake Forest Church plant be uh, after Victor uh, and Church of the Good Samaritan get started in September. So pray along with us, and, and we'll look forward to telling you more. So we, uh, unfortunately, coming back from Denver, anybody read news of the weather around the country? Yeah. Lord, have mercy. I have spent... Let's see, 28 of the last 40 hours in various airports, airplanes, and cheap hotel rooms at the expense of American Airlines due to canceled flights. And so I feel like a pony that's been rode hard and put up wet uh, right now. I am road weary, but I but I really enjoyed interacting with today's scripture. If you'll turn to Judges chapter three, uh, I'm sorry, Judges chapter four. I was tripping out the whole time and wrote this message uh, on three planes and two different in two different hotel rooms. Um, uh, so Judges four, uh, Judges. And I really hope you'll look at this in your Bible app or your own Bible so you can be interacting with the story. Let me summarize the book of Judges for you as your pastor because it's it's sort of an unfamiliar book, and a lot of times you're like, what am I supposed to get out of that? Judges, the book of Judges in the Old Testament tells the same story over and over. You get to the next chapter, same story. Get to the next chapter, same story, different names. Next chapter, same story, different names, and here's the story. God is good, and he loves his people. And when people say yes and are adopted into his family, he loves to bless his people. And Israel is the first example of displaying to the world this good God who invites all to be part of his family. And so God adopts Israel to be his beloved people, and he blesses them because that's the kind of God he is. And then the next part of the story, God's people Get fat, happy, and lazy with God's blessings. And I go, you know what? We don't need God. I, ca- I think I did all this myself. And I take God for granted. Drift away from God. Drift away from pursuing holiness that honors God. And in the case of the Israelites, even drift into worshiping false idols and gods and letting them have primacy in their heart. And they're thus enslaved whether it's to habits or priorities and then the next part of the story is God's people because they have a memory of God they wake up and they're like this is a bad way to live man and in fact it's kind of sucking life out of me in some way or another and God's people because they have the spirit of God go you know what I'm going to reach back out to the Lord most high And because he's a good God, he doesn't say, hey, you've been turning your back on me lately. Talk to the hand. Because he's a good God, he comes and saves and rescues and blesses again. And the book of Judges is that story over and over and over again. And so if you today this moment or at any time in your life You have found yourself walking backwards like moonwalking in your relationship with God instead of forward. If you have turned your back on him completely, if you have barely ever talked to them, the book of Judges is God's word to you and me of what to do in that circumstance. So let's get at it. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Would you say again with me? This chapter of scripture is for again kind of people. Again, I took God's blessings for granted. Again, I forgot how awesome God's word is and that he speaks to us personally if I spend time in it daily. Again, I forgot that. Instead of daily letting him fill me up. Again, I fell into that habit. It really hurt me and some other people. This is for again kind of people. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. Ehud was a leader who called them to faithfulness. Verse 2, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Hazor was, was the capital of a confederation of Canaanite peoples. This is in the 13th 12th century before Christ in ancient Israel in the northern part of it. We're told in the book of Hebrews that a good, good father disciplines his children when they're out of line for their good to help them wake up and not go further into their own destruction. And God disciplines Israel here. You have probably experienced seasons of God's discipline in your life, and it was for your good. And this is the form of it. The Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Sisera, the cam- commander of that army, was based in some, this town. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron, that, a.k.a. in the 13th century B.C., he had the biggest nuclear arsenal in the, in the ancient Near East. This, was, this is the Iron Age, and this was the highest technology. And they cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, and they cried to the Lord for help. So here we see We open up Judges 3 and we find the Israelites, God's people, who he has elected and chosen to be his very own and made a covenant with them that he will be faithful to them no matter what because that's the kind of God he is. They were oppressed and downtrodden due to their own sin. They knew God. They were blessed by God when they followed God and they took the blessings and benefits of God for granted when life was easy and God allowed them to lose those blessings in order to recall them to faithful relationship with God again. And so he allowed the Canaanites to overtake them and rule over them. So half of their troubles were their own making. If you're a again kind of person, and you're just honest with yourself, half of my troubles, problems in life are of my own making. But half of their problems were because of a fallen world and other people. Because the particular people who happened to be nearby that God allowed to overtake them and oppress them were one of the most historically immoral societies known to us. And so they were particularly oppressive in cruel ways. So half of the Israelites' problems were of their own making and half were just because we live in a fallen world. Ain't that my life and yours? Judge it. This could be my story right here. When I point at the thing that is causing me problems in my life, I realize I got my other three fingers pointing back at me and I'm 3 fist the cause of the majority of my problems. Other people and things are only two-fifths. You know that song that says, Mo' money, Mo' problems? Well, the fact of being a human in this world is Mo' days on this fallen earth, Mo' problems. It's part of the deal until Christ returns and rolls it all up into the new heavens and the new earth. What's the good response? When you look up, and man, I got some problems. I got some troubles. Three-fifths of them are my fault. Two-fifths of them are because other people are messing up. The good response to besetting problems, verse 3, they cried to the Lord for help. The people of God remembered who God was in their moment of trouble. God doesn't think that it's a negative thing when you find yourself in trouble or problem or crisis that that's the moment that you cry out to him. God doesn't go, "Whoa, sure, you call me when you need help. He goes, I'm happy to hear from you. Call out to him. Do not worry that it's a mercenary prayer. This is what they did. Uh, In 2008, the, the, the Great Recession, so many of my Lake Forest friends went through a lot of problems in particular, a number of men in our church who were business owners in the area of real estate or, con- real estate or contracting lost their businesses. I remember meeting with a number of them, and, and it was just very similar. They had a sense of personal failure and shame. And I was like, bro, were you the author of the subprime lending crisis that took down the world economy? You just happened to be in that industry. And the fallenness of the fallen world just fell on you and your profession in a uniquely difficult way. And I grieve when I see the fallenness of the world and problems fall in unequal ways on people. And it does, and we grieve with one another. The fact that the profession you chose is fulfilling and wonderful, and yet society has not chosen to value that monetarily in a proper manner. Teachers, can I get an Amen. The good response to besetting problems was they cried to the Lord for help. Lord, hear our cry. Israel was living far from God morally and relationally, but they still had confidence to cry out to God. You know why? Because they knew their identity as beloved children of God. They knew who they were. They were adopted, secure, beloved children of God's covenant who, in spite of their faithlessness to God... Yahweh would be a good and loving father and be faithful to them in life and in eternity. So they turned in the right direction and they cried out to the Lord. You and me, friends of Lake Forest, please, please, if you are a Christian, please live out of the primary identity of your identity in Christ not your identity of shame, not your identity of failure, not your identity of you, you try hard, not your identity of success, not your identity of making it, not your identity of, man, I finally got stuff comfortable for me and my family. The only identity that will refresh and power goodness and contentment in the, li- the story of your life is when it's top of mind that you are a beloved child of God in whom he is well pleased That is what God the Father said of God the Son Jesus when he came out of the water at his baptism and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice was heard saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then Christ is in you and you are in Christ and God perpetually and continually views you as his beloved daughter or Son in whom he is well pleased. And Israel knew that even in their failure and shame. And so they cried out like a child to a parent, Lord, help. What are you crying out to the Lord right now for help? Those of us who've been a Christian for many, many years, hear God's word to you today. Do you still make your hurts and your troubles or those of your loved ones a matter of prayer and crying out to your heavenly father just like when you refresh in your faith. He never tires of us running to him. Let us not grow weary in crying out to our good God each and every time. Jesus says, what do you do? You ask, you seek, you knock persistently and the door will be opened. It's not always the door we want to open. It's not always when we want it to open. But he promises, ask, seek, knock and it will be opened to you. Israel was even worshiping other gods, but their cry was a turn back to him, and it delighted their heavenly father to meet them. Verse 4. Let's go through the rest of this chapter. We're just going to read through it. Now Deborah... This is the beginning of answer to God's answer to their prayer. A prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, And we never hear from this guy again. That's all we know about him was leading slash judging, that was this was the word for the leader of, of the tribes of Israel, at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Went up, why? Because the Canaanites in their chariots rule over all the flat land. uh, If you go to Israel, there's a lot of mountains and then there's a lot of plains and valleys. And the Canaanites with their chariots ruled over the valleys and plains and were limiting trade and and, and commerce and, and exchange and relationship between all the Israelite tribes who were hillbillies living up in the hills. That's why they went up to Deborah. She sent for Barak, son of Abadab, from the place and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, who's the commander of Jabin's army, this is the commander of the confederation of the Canaanite tribes and their army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River, and I will give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go, I ain't going. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, if that's what you need. If you need a pacifier. But because of the course you're taking, in other words, wavering in his faith that this was the word of the Lord through her, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman, which we assume is going to be Deborah. Check out what happens. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are the two two of the northernmost tribes of Israel at this time. And 10,000 men went up under his command, and Deborah went up with him to the hills because they were hillbillies. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent. This is a, a, a nomadic group that attached themselves to Israel because of marriage to Moses' family. By the great tree in this place. Next, when they told Sisera that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Barak is the general who Deborah said, go, fight. Uh, uh, Sisera, remember the general of the Canaanite army with the chariots, he summoned a whole bunch of people and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor. See, so from the hill country. With 10,000 men following it, Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. The next chapter, chapter 5 of Judges, is a poem or a, a, a victory song that Barak and Deborah wrote together. You can re- That's your homework is to read it. But in there... What we think we see is that uh, the Lord caused a great huge rainstorm to come. And so the chariots likely got bogged down in mud, thus erasing their technological superiority. And they were driven into a small valley by this river, and that's where the battle was decided. And Sisera, the general, as he's losing the battle, he got out of his chariot and fled on foot. That's the Canaanite general. Barak pursued the chariots and army, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, the Canaanite general, meanwhile fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of the former mentioned Kenite, the, 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 a tent because they were nomads, because there was an alliance between Jabin the king of Hazor, that's the capital town of the Canaanites, and the family of the Kenites. Here's the end. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my general. Come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket or a rug. She may have rolled him up in a rug. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She went further than that and opened a skin of milk, signaling hospitality and safety. Gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say No. But J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. (laughs) Do you know why she was so efficacious with the hammer and the peg? Because in in nomadic societies of that time, it was the, the woman who was responsible for setting up the tent, taking it back down. So she had a lot of experience hammering tent pegs, and she just aimed it. Just then, Barak came by and pursued a sister, and, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay sister with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, we're, I hope we're going to have time to talk about what's the deal with the tent peg. Um, on that day, God subdued... The, that's where I see the gospel in this passage, by the way. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. The hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. This is a trippy part of God's word, is it not? God heard their cry. God hears your cry. And what I just read was his answer. God heard their cry and answered with a person, Deborah. God's will is to answer some other person's cry for help with a person, you. This is God's will for each of our life, to be used by him, to be part of his answer to someone or some group of people's cry to the Lord, even if they don't know him by name. You know what's cool? It just so happens that our mission trips this summer in other countries are all overlapping. And so there's like 70 Lake Forest Huntersville people, I think, waking up today in Honduras, in the Bahamas, on the poorest island in the Bahamas and Bolivia in answer to God hearing the cry of vulnerable, poor street children. In Peña Blanca, Honduras, where some of these children have been rescued by you and our partner ministry, CIN, out of sex slavery. On Long Island, Bahamas where they're locked with no opportunity, and in Cochabamba, Bolivia. The cry of their heart, whether by name or not, was, Lord, help. How cool is it? The 70 Lake Forest people are right there in answer to that cry for help today. That's beautiful. Did any of those Lake Forest church people know the name of the children in those places that they were going to be in answer to God's prayer to before they went? Nope. Nope. God did. They didn't know. They just heard the call to go. God heard those children and specifically sent about 70 Lake Forest Huntersville people right today. Now, it's a mystery to me why. But our sovereign, almighty God uses people as his primary means to rescue people from troubles. God doesn't primarily use phantoms or ghosts or puffs of air or a genie blink. He uses people. Christian, God has given salvation to you, not primarily for your comfort of yourself and your family, but in order to be sent on a life of living God's mission of love to the world and being one answer to people's cry, Lord, help. Through your actions, through your life, through your profession, through your financial giving to God's work in this world. We don't have to be God to know who is praying that prayer. You don't have to know who in your apartment building is praying that prayer and is so lonesome. You don't have to know who on your block is praying a prayer. Lord, help me in their despair or their anxiety or their depression. You don't need to know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, who in your year is praying a prayer of some form of, Lord, help me. Because what we know is everybody is more fragile than we think. And right behind almost everybody's eyeballs that you talk to, there's some form of of a plea to the Lord. Oh, help me in my trouble. So we don't need to know. We just have to be faithful and available when God pushes a little bit or pulls us to be his instrument of healing to the broken, his instrument of companionship to the lonely, his instrument of friendship to the friendless, his instrument of gospel witness to Jesus, to those who don't yet know the love of God and they're not living inside of it. All we do is obey when he calls us, pushes or pulls, to be part of his answer to somebody who's crying out for help the way Deborah was here in verse 4. though we don't we're not god and we don't hear who's crying out to him for help but we can assume everyone is we do hear some people crying out if you and i are becoming more like jesus then we are tuning our hearts to the cries of individuals and classes of people and their hurt i've called this before i think i i heard it from some other guy calls this the holy hurt that god has given to each of us do you know what your holy hurt is yet If you're a teenager, you're developing it. You may know it clearly. One of my favorite teens here at Lake Forest, clearly her holy hurt is care of the creation and creatures that God has entrusted to human beings. What's your holy hurt? God invites you to be a Deborah in answer to that cry because you're hearing the cry. We hear it. We see it. I heard someone else say, your misery is your ministry. What, What when you know about it for another person or a group of people Or a place gives you misery almost. That's a calling of God to be part of his answer to the plea for help. If we cultivate the listening abilities of our spirit to the spirit of God, then what vulnerable, hurting, oppressed, poor, or lonely population or person have you heard their cry? And like Deborah, recognize that's a call of God for me to engage with some of the abilities God has given me. Uh, for instance, some of you, for you, your holy hurt is, is the cry of, of the immigrant population here in Huntersville who feel insignificant, vulnerable, and locked out of opportunity and access to a better life. If that's your burden, that's why many of you are partnering with Caterpillar Ministries here. Or, or if that's your burden, man, be part of our one-team soccer camp to serve and befriend folks and and benefit from friendship with them. Many of you, you hear the cry of families in distress and children at risk. And so some of you volunteer with safe families to have your home live on mission to heal that holy hurt for one, even one family, single parents in particular. Some of you uh, volunteer with and you donate generously to our, our local pregnancy center, which is now Located here in Huntersville, because your holy hurt is the cause of the most vulnerable, the unborn. Others, it may be your holy hurt is the recognition of the wealth and income disparity between the races in the U.S. Due to historic systemic oppression that still exists in places in our society and needs to be kicked in the face. Some of you, that's your way to hear the holy hurt. And be a Deborah as part of the answer. For some of you, your holy hurt may be the fact that America is such a wonderful nation. We thank God for it. And therefore, so many desperate people want to come here. But every single Congress and presidential administration in my lifetime has failed to create a coherent, comprehensive, dignified immigration policy. And so we have a lot of problems that hurt people today. Today. And if the separation of families, of legal asylum seekers at our border is your holy hurt today, did you know that our government is now allowing some organizations, including Christian ones, to certify families as foster homes for these children for whom they've lost track of where their parents are? That's a literal way to be a Deborah and an answer to a child's plea. Lord, help. Help. Is your holy hurt perhaps about the fact that there are more sex slaves today than ever before in the history of the world? Don't you let anybody spin you a fairy tale about reality and say, you know what, life and history, it's just getting better and better and we don't need God. Humankind remains sinful and evil continues to destroy lives, in fact, through slavery at a greater pace than ever before in history. If this misery is your ministry... There are organizations here in Charlotte, one that we've started partnering with, that you can volunteer with and support financially to be part of someone crying out, Lord, help me. So what's your holy hurt? If we didn't even go further, will you be sure that you put your finger on that, ask the Lord for clarity? And if you're not clear, just go ahead and know it's at least in this direction. So that when God pushes or pulls you to be an answer to that cry, you you, you know the one that has your name on it. So Deborah heard God call her as she heard her people cry out for rescue. By the way, and it resulted in in victory over the oppressors. By the way, it's good for you to know that archaeology confirms that the Canaanite capital city of Hazor, named in this account, was destroyed by fire at precisely this moment in ancient history, confirming the overall historical veracity of this account. In other words, it's established as historical fact. In other words, bro, you can trust your Bible that it's the word of God. So Deborah answers the call for leadership as God's provision of rescue to Israel after they cried out. In Judges 4, we see that God uses Deborah in her ability as a leader. But if you don't view yourself as a leader, there's other people that God uses as a part of this answer to the problem. He uses Barak in his professional job skills. He's the military guy. He uses J.L., the, the, the tent peg woman, in her strength of arm and character as one person with a pri- presented with a private God moment in her home. Answer God's call to partner with God and rescue you in the area of your holy heart, through work, through your gifts, talents, and in your home. So why was Deborah so useful to God and so effective? A few observations at how high do planes fly? I don't even know. 20,000 feet? 30, a few observations at 30,000 feet. Thank you. Number one, God called a leader, Deborah, to initiate a better future. God most normally begins to mediate his will, his way, his rescue for people through the activity of an initiative-taking leader. Leadership matters. And if you are so gifted, do not despise that gift in yourself. His rescue for people is often be initiated through an initiative-taking leader. If that's your gift of competency, cultivate it. Use it well. Pick other leaders as your mentor. Mentor. Who are going the same direction where you want to go? Many of us, for example, have served with our primary local ministry partner, Caterpillar Ministries. I, my wife Angie is a part of their tutoring ministry. Uh, you know what? That didn't just poof out of nowhere. God put a particular burden on a leadership potential person, Ann Crawford. I pick her on purpose because we have a female leader here in Judges, Deborah, and, and she was an initiative taking. She just started walking the neighborhood building friendships, and it's flowered into a ministry that now many of us are able to serve in. So many in our church are teachers, medical nurses, medical professionals. Uh, In history, it took a leader here or there to initiate and say, hey, you know what, poor children should be educated just like the children of the rich. By the way, that was Christians in 19th century America. It took leaders to take initiative. And now you as a teacher, you're mediating God's rescue to children in need of of vision for their life and education and tools to succeed. You're part of that, but it took a leader to initiate it. Similarly in the medical field. um, So this isn't for everyone here, but it's for someone. It was for one person who told me in the first service, if God is calling you to be an initiative-taking leader, about something that ain't right in the words of Chris Rock then like Deborah step out and do it and immerse yourself the book of Judges is a good book for you if you're a leader so Deborah was a leader in her natural human strengths we all have natural strengths But also as a member of God's people, she had spiritual gifts that she used to serve God's purposes, to shepherd God's people. And so number two, Deborah fully used her spiritual gifts to serve God's people. And the gift of prophecy is mentioned and and leading or judgeship here. So she was using her spiritual gift of prophecy, prophet, and wisdom as judge. By the way, only three people in the Bible are listed as a prophet and a judge, and that's Moses Samuel and Deborah. She's first revealed to be a prophetess. That's the first thing we learn about her. And there's a notion that we think of as a prophet because of the most famous ones in the Old Testament who foretells the future. But the truth is, the biblical definition, the primary definition of prophecy in the Bible is not foretelling but forthtelling, speaking truth that God has already spoken. And the majority of the Old Testament prophets who we have their writings are saying, Return to God, do what you know, God loves you and in fact the Apostle Paul encourages all of us in the New Testament to prophesy and that's not a call for us to go around predicting the future but to preach the good news of Jesus to a lost and lonely world Deborah is one of four women in the Old Testament to be called a prophet Miriam, Huldah and Isaiah's wife are the other three and they're gifted women and there are gifted women in the church today all of you women are gifted by God for ministry in this body of Christ. Your gifts are needed. All the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament are given to men and women equally. And we are catching up to that fact in the Church of America today by beginning to grant leadership to women in the church and our generation. And we still have a long way to go. So whatever your gifts are, stir them up. Number three. To bring God's help to the holy hurt, this was on my second airplane, Deborah freed herself to be unconventional in a good way. In that society, God accommodates himself to culture. He didn't genie-blink Israel into 21st century culture as though our culture is the end-all, be-all, and we know what everybody should have been like in history. Every generation has historical pride. And so, but they were a patriarchal society in which the expectation is the woman's place would be at home. But there were men who noticed her leadership gifts. Who must the men have been in her life? Her father, her husband, others who recognized God's gift of leadership, judgeship, and prophecy and elevated her to the position of leading all of God's people, Israel, as judge. Men, what ways are you helping the girls or women in your life to have confidence in who God made them and step into his call on their life? not being limited by the vestigial societal role expectations of women that limit so much potentiality in females in our culture. Men, how can you help them be unconventional in a good way and you be unconventional in how you cultivate their gifts and talents and name it to them? Number four, this is the last plane. To those who say, well, women in spiritual leadership is not normative, And God only called this woman to lead because no worthy man was available, I say. And by the way, this is a a non-essential issue. Christians who hold to the authority of Scripture can come to differing conclusions here and in our denomination. We we agree to disagree on our interpretation of this matter and in our church, even on our elder board here. Uh, uh, My best friend denominationally disagrees with me on this and we talked about it this week. I love him to death. But, for example, that friend of mine who doesn't... Now my view, you ready? Who doesn't want to admit the plain truth of this chapter of God's word—that God Himself appointed a female to be the political and spiritual leader of all God's people, with no apology? And therefore, what my friend would say, all spiritual leadership—no, uh, therefore I would interpret all spiritual leadership roles remain open to women and men equally. And this passage is one of them. I've written about this elsewhere, but my friend's explanation. That, that's not anywhere in the Bible, so it's an extra-biblical explanation of this chapter. Well, there weren't any men worthy enough in that generation, so God was forced to pick a woman, but it was an exception. All the men were trifling, is that argument. Here's what I say to my friends. Okay, I'm friends, okay? You mean to tell me the God who created the heavens and earth out of nothing The God who parted the Red Sea to rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt. The God who fed them miraculously day by day with manna in the desert and led them at night with a pillar of fire. You mean the God who made water flow out of a dry rock in the desert to keep them alive. You mean the God who met Moses on the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the most remarkable gift to human culture in history before Jesus. You mean the God who condescended to become man and atoned for our sins through Jesus, the God-man's perfect, sinless life, through his atoning death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. You mean the God who will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes and make his kingdom of love, truth, and justice the only reality that there is. You mean that God couldn't come up with a man. Couldn't genie-blink a man into that generation to be his instrument. And so that God was forced to hold his nose and pick a female just this one time, even though it offended his gender sensibilities. (laughs) So lovingly with my friends, I'll be like, shut your mouth. Don't you be bad-mouthing my God that way. God was pleased to choose Deborah to lead his people in that day and he is pleased to choose women in leadership for his people today number five just before I got off the plane Deborah's spiritual leadership as a prophet and leader of God's people continues right now she's leading you you don't even know it she wrote a chapter of the Bible God's holy word is preached through the pen or the mouth of Deborah, because chapter 5, your homework, is a victory hymn that she and Barak wrote together, but most of it is stated in first person from her. And so there's the start of it. And it's beautiful. It's considered one of the oldest uh, original writings in the Bible, by the way, and authentic to that generation. So if that chapter of the Bible was written by this woman, a woman is teaching every believer in every generation throughout church history. Therefore, women are intended to be leaders, teachers, elders, and pastors. You can look up on my blog what I've written about other passages in the Bible about that. Number six, let's finish. Deborah's most powerful leadership action was to prop up the unsteady faith of another person, Barak, who then led the army, who actually won the battle. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes as a leader, you see people around you, and their faith is faltering. And as a leader, I'm like, I don't want that to get on me. Or, why aren't they more reliable than that? And shun them or shame them. Deborah, as a leader, said, you know what? Okay, I'll go with you. And she helped make it his success, not hers. That is great leadership. Number seven, Deborah's Deborah's faithful use of her gifts, her influence, her role, and her generosity toward Barack's faltering faith made her not the only answer of God to Israel's cry for help but she became a touchstone and an assistant to others to be God's answer as well in fact 10,000 of them got to share in the victory she didn't steal all of it for herself as the leader finally the tent peg what do we do with the violence in this part of the history of God's people and by the way that's going to be most of next week I'm teaching on another of the judges next week and it is a messed up story So we're going to deal with this question in a different way next week. What do we do with the violence in this part of the history of God's people? Well, first of all, we don't get all historically judgy like this generation likes to do. And then we actually do the history. This moment happens after 20 years of the Canaanites oppressing the Israelites with great cruelty. History and archaeology confirm the Canaanites were a uniquely immoral society, for example, practicing ritual, regular sacrifice of infants into fire, chimenea-looking things, to satisfy one of their gods named Molech. And in fact, in the tradition of J.L., the woman with the hammer and the tent peg, in the 20th century, one of our best Christian witnesses and theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was a Lutheran Christian, in Germany, who resisted Nazism, and he was actually arrested and executed for participating in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He probably would have loved a chance to come up on him, rolled up in a carpet, with a hammer and a tent peg in his hand. And this is where we find the gospel in this instant, instance in the book of Judges. On my iTunes this morning, an old Tears for Fear song came up. If if you're an 80s dude like me, I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. Mad world. Mad world. Our God is loving. Our God is sovereign. Our God redeems, and he will redeem everything, we're told. And he finds the sin and violence of the world as sad as we do. He sees that it's a mad world, and so he did something about it and sent his son Jesus to be prophet, priest, and king, a prophet who tells us the truth about God, that God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to be a priest, to sacrifice his own life, to atone for the sin and shame of the world and yours, and to rise from the dead, actually sharing victory over death to all who say yes to him by faith. Say yes right now if you haven't. And God sent his son Jesus to be a king the leader that we need in our trouble globally and personally and you can trust him as the leader of your life today and forever and he will return one day as that king and make all things new and reign in goodness, beauty and righteousness forever I can't wait in the meantime be a Deborah who uses your natural talents, your spiritual gifts and Ability to share, rescue with other people, to be part of God's answer to people's cry for help. Let's pray and we'll worship the Lord in response. Heavenly Father, we're now ready to stand up and sing because we love you all over again. Uh, And we are, again, people, God. And some of us did walk in here. And our part of the story right now is the beginning part for the Israelites. We have wandered from you. We have strayed. Or we have just simply been mailing it in with you. And so again, we're a different kind of again now. We're going to run to you in worship. We're going to sing to you. We are going to receive and exchange love with you now as we sing in response and as you clarify our holy hurt. In Jesus' name, amen.